Middle East on the brink, North Korea on the brink, Iran increasing its aggression, elections in Taiwan. Look, there's a lot of global instability as we ourselves plunge into primary season. How have you sheltered your savings and investments from potential major setbacks to the economy? You think it can happen here? It can happen here, but it's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold. And Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. As opposed to many other investments, Gold thrives in times of uncertainty. It is an important part of diversifying your savings. Now listen, here's how Birch Gold can help make it a part of yours. Birch Gold will help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold. And it doesn't cost you a penny out of pocket. You want to learn more? Just text SAVAGE to 989898 for a free info kit. S-A-V-A-G-E, text it to 989898 and you get a free info kit. It costs you nothing. Just text SAVAGE to 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to arm yourself with the knowledge of diversification through precious metals. Protect yourself. Text SAVAGE to 989898 and claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold. Do it now. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Thank you very much. Birch Gold is the only gold company I trust. Text SAVAGE to 989-898. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture. And here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only, and I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com, and if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Was at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. 
Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more. And remember, subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week. The cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz. With, with the Savage Premium. So go to go to glow.fm slash Savage Premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else. Thank you very much. Today we're going to talk about Through the Looking Glass and what you can see beyond it. Welcome to the Savage Nation podcast. Recently I was on Newsmax TV where I appear generally on Friday evenings in the uh, 6 p.m. Pacific hour, 9 p.m. Eastern hour. And at the end, I pulled out a uh, prop. It was a Victorian era brass telescope. And I said to the host, I have a surprise for you, which is this is what Biden is looking through and he's looking through it backwards. But worse yet, he doesn't even know that he hasn't taken the cap off the lens. And that's because he thinks he is the looking glass. And it got me to thinking about through the looking glass. And many of you know what it refers to. It is a novel published in 1871, December 27th, 1871, by Lewis Carroll called Through the Looking Glass and what Alice found there later to be known as Alice in Wonderland. And I think you pretty much have come to understand that it means fantasy. The people who look through the looking glass backwards are looking at themselves. And it led me to think, what should I talk about on today's podcast? I can do politics like everyone else does. That's okay. We all know how bad things are. We know that Biden is a complete disaster. We know he's destroying everything he touches. We know the people around them are hardcore Leninists, Maoists, Marxists, whatever you want to call them, and very dangerous indeed, not to be dismissed. They're very dangerous, fanatical extremists. The border is melting down. Our language is becoming a melting pot of garbage, and our culture is being stepped upon by the multicultural vermin in plain English. So I turn back to God at times like this, and I realized that a couple of years ago, I published my book, uh, God, Faith, and Reason. I'm looking at it now, 2017. And the other day, a strange thing happened. The phone rang. It had been months since I heard from him, maybe six months. John Voigt called me, and he said, Michael, I was reading your book, God, God Faith, and Reason. And I said, and? And he said, well, I, I was reading a page called An Unlikely Choice, he read it to me. I said, I don't remember it. He said, page 141, you wrote, sometimes God chooses people odd to do his bidding. Look at the story of his choosing Moses. He said, Moses, I'm choosing you. You're the chosen one to lead your people. Moses replied, oh, come on. Don't pick on me. I don't want to do this. I can't do it. I stutter. I'm not good looking. I have a bad face. My skin is no good. No, pick someone else. And God said, that's why I'm choosing you because you're imperfect. So I chuckled with John and he said, Read further on in your own book. He said, you see, the people who are chosen by God or by fate or by destiny to do wonderful things often don't even know that they've been chosen to do them. I've told these stories before, and they resonate in me at times. You wrote that. Well, I was talking about how I thought Trump had been chosen by God, and I know, wait, 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 what do you mean? Trump? God send? Yeah, I believe it. As sure as I'm sitting here again, he was chosen to attack and protect us from these atheistic anti-American vermin. 
who are destroying America from within. I was distraught right after the election, but I'm now actually invigorated by the challenge and our ability to succeed in this challenge. Let me tell you, you take on the intelligence community, they have six ways from Sunday at getting back at you. So even for a practical, supposedly hard-nosed businessman, he's being really dumb to do this. From what I am told, they are very upset with how he has treated them and talked about them. And we need the intelligence community. We don't know what's going Look at the Russian hacking. Without the intelligence community, we wouldn't have uh, discovered it. And yes, he was the odd one. He was, in a way, a Moses. I still believe that. I don't want to hear about his mean tweets and his gruff ways. It doesn't matter to me. All I know is that the vermin running America today are spitting on over 50% of America, laughing at you, mocking you, calling you every name under the sun, the deplorables, the despicables, the rubes, the breeders. But we are the backbone of America, and we have only come to understand how bad they really are. But I don't want to go into politics. I want to go back to through the looking glass and what Alice found there. Why? Well, again, I refer to my book, God, Faith, and Reason, and I'm going to read from it because it's better for me to read from a few pages of my book than to kind of just wing it. I don't want to wing it when it took me a lot of thought to write this book. The book itself has an interesting background to it. It became a best-selling book, which is not unto itself that important. Everybody wants their books to sell. But this book was not going to be written. The only reason it got published is because my publisher said that she wanted me to write Trump's War. And I said, I'll only do another nonfiction book at the time if you will publish my God book. And at the time, I didn't know what my God book was. It was a collection of writings that had been going on since I was a kid. And I put it together in God, Faith, and Reason. And lo and behold, it it sold quite well. And I like certain parts of it to this day. Uh, And it begins with a boy chasing a newspaper down a windy street in the Bronx. And that boy was me. And I don't want to go into it because I don't want you to think I'm trying to be preachy here because I never saw God, nor do I pretend to have any special insights. And what I wrote in the book was what you will see in this book are snapshots of God, not a complete film. And I wrote it in an omnibus style, which does not have to be read in precise sequential order. And what you see in my book is one man's glimpses of God, glimpses of God, images along the road of life. I never represented myself as a theologian or a guru. And I said, there are no cheap thrills here for the spiritually bankrupt masses. It was my scrapbook of the higher power through dreams, memories, and stories, much like the ancient texts. So I said I wouldn't do another political book. And I told my radio audience at the time that the last one would be my final political book. God gave me all my previous successes. I know that. And I knew my next book had to be something to give something back to God. And so a lot of people are reading the book or read the book and they like it. But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about through the looking glass. In a certain way, we all see the world through a looking glass backwards, by the way. In a certain way, we all climb through a mirror into the world beyond it. And what we find is what we find. So let me begin with, is God real? From God, faith, and reason. And it begins like this. Sometimes I ask myself, what is real? We're living in a society where everything is fake. The food is fake. Nothing tastes good anymore. Airsats wine is chemicalized, as are the air, 
water, everything. And of course, we all know the news is fake. Were the media ever the harbingers of truth? No, they always made up what they were feeding us, by and large, with a few notable exceptions. We have too much fake science. I wrote that before COVID. For example, inventing whole phony disciplines to support the climate change hoax, which is a political movement, not a scientific one. So I asked you, what do you turn to, my dear beloved readers? Where do you turn when you want something real? Every institution we grew up with in this country has been blown up. There is almost nothing left. Not at all. Nothing left. I think the older people might still have religion, family, and values. But society at large is a different story. How can everyone else decide who and what is real? How can you judge who is real? How can you know if a person you are talking to, a person you get to know, a person you do business with, or a person you are dating is real? You don't really know, do you, until certain things happen. And many of you have a different answer to every question that I've just raised. Some of you say, well, playing an instrument, knowing exactly what I'm doing when I'm playing the instrument, or personal hobbies are what real to me. And I replied to one of them once, either you're good at playing an instrument, poor at it, or mediocre at it. You know it, and so does everyone around you. So playing music is real. Cooking was another great example that came out of my discussions on this subject. There is no way to fake cooking. Even if the food is fake, either it comes out tasting and looking good or it doesn't. And I said, these are the basics that keep people going in a time where everything around them seems fraudulent. I find myself most at rest when I'm doing something with my hands, when I'm making or fixing something. That's when I feel most stable. Gardening is one example. Seeing my peaches ripen and my tomatoes come up is real to me, and and so forth. And I said there's a divinity in growing vegetables, which may explain why so many primitive cultures centered their religious beliefs around vegetables, around the garden, around crops. That and necessity, of course. And then I said, women enjoy an especially direct connection to producing life by bearing children, something men cannot and will not ever know. My mind wanders when I talk to people. I don't consider it a shortcoming. Some people just can't listen to other people. First, I do it every day on the radio. That was then. So when I get off the air, I don't really want to listen to anybody. It can be hard to be around me for that reason. People can see my eyes rolling after about 30 seconds, or they can see I'm stressing to make believe I'm listening. Do you think I don't know this? I know who I am and what I am. I live with it. There's an oft-used phrase, comfortable in your own skin. I'm fairly comfortable in mine. Do I have a choice? After all these years, I don't know how to be uncomfortable in my own body. We live together for so long. We certainly can't separate and become a duality, at least not in this life. Tomorrow it could all be over, but for the grace of God, right? Right? Michael Savage, a host like no other. Now, here's a typical morning prayer some religious Jews read to start the day. I know, I know, you don't want to hear this. You just want to hear me go on and on about the vernacular of our time. But here's a prayer you have to listen to. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has formed man in wisdom and created within him numerous orifices and cavities. It is revealed and known before the throne of your glory that if but one of them were to be blocked or one of them were to be open, it would be impossible to exist even for a short while. Blessed are you, Lord our God, who heals all flesh and performs wonders. That's one of the first prayers that religious Jewish people read as they start the day. And I remember writing that in 2017 
And then it happened in 2019, I suffered a heart attack and I had one of my orifices blocked as I knew would eventually or could eventually happen. It's the number one killer in America, the Western world, heart attacks. And so as I'm being wheeled down the hallway uh, into the surgical ward for the procedure of a stent, I prayed. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echod. I kept repeating, God is great in essence. God is one. I kept repeating it over and over again in Hebrew, then in English, oh, in Hebrew, then in English. So when I came out of the anesthesia the next day, the surgeon said to, to my wife, the surgeon said, God, he was babbling something in the hallway. Yeah, I was babbling. See, to the doctor, God is a babble. To me, it's a measure of both worlds, the world of science and the world of spirit, the world of God. See, the ancients who wrote the prayer books understood things about the human body that were not very well known outside the Jewish community of that time, and they codified what they knew in their prayer book. Now, what is the point of reading this prayer every morning? Well, maybe to remind us that every breath we take could be our last. What a way to live. It is supposed to humble us and make us understand that time is limited, that we're finite. We're flesh and blood no matter how big we think we are. Well, we all know that, don't we? I guess we do. I've known it since I'm a child. It doesn't work for many of you. Many of you think that you're eternal. Many of you think that you're going to live forever. Maybe many of you laugh at those of us who believe in God. It's up to you. You have to get through life in your own way. But here we are. And uh, I said prayers like this are supposed to stop the thief who wears the black clothing and does the shuckling and still rips off Medicare. Because I said in many cases, even the religious don't believe what they read. And years after discovering this very prayer, I read something from a different religion which said words to this effect. It said, it doesn't really matter if you read the prayer book every day and perform all the rituals. What really matters to God is whether you are sincere in your belief in him. That sincerity is the reality I'm talking about. Maybe reality is nothing more than sincerity. I don't mean a con man sincerity or putting on an act. There is enough of that in the world. Every great salesman is a con man. He pretends that he believes in what he's selling you. Maybe some do, maybe some don't. You can't prejudge everybody. But think about all the fake movie stars with no talent whatsoever. They're surgically altered like androids or bionic people. You don't know who's real anymore. You don't know what's real. Maybe some people don't need reality. Maybe they want someone who's altered and looks better. That's certainly another way to look at it, that the altered body is the better body. Really? Okay. One caller once said to me, eternity, knowledge, and bliss, that is reality. Eternity, knowledge, and bliss, that is reality. To solve the problems of birth, old age, disease, and death, that's facing reality. Real reality is eternity, knowledge, and bliss, because there is all this disease and death and birth that's forced upon us. Nobody wants it because by nature we're eternal. We're full of knowledge, full of bliss, but we're all in this prison house of this material world, and that's reality, unquote. Well, the Buddhists believe the material world is a prison, an illusion, but I'm not a Buddhist. And I'm reminded of a story I once heard about Albert Einstein, and I don't know if it's true. I read it once. Shortly after Albert Einstein published his general theory of relativity, he agreed to an audience with one man. He couldn't meet everyone, of course, but he admitted a prominent man who said to him, Herr Einstein, I understand your theory of relativity. Everything is imaginary. It's all imagined. 
the story goes that Einstein stood up to the man, slapped him in the face and said, is that imagined? Reality is great to talk about until you fall off a ladder and break a leg. I remember when I was 18 years old and going through my sorrows of young Vertha phase. I didn't know who I was, where I was going, or what I was going to be. I was asking, what is life about? What is the meaning of existence? And going through all the turmoil kids go through if they're sensitive or have a brain. I think everyone goes through this phase. The toughest person on earth asks these questions at some point in their life, usually during adolescence. Some people can't get through that stage. They become drug addicts or alcoholics. They can't get past it because the answers are not there for them. They've lost faith or have no connection to faith. They don't believe in anything and don't know where to turn. Well, one day during that time in my life, I was driving through the Catskill Mountains and I heard a thunk under the wheel of my car. I stopped, got out, and saw a dead rabbit. I went home that night and wrote in my, in my journal a simple line, today I ran over and killed a rabbit. This is reality. Well, is that profound? It was to me. What I learned from running over that rabbit was that you can dream all you want, but at a certain point when you run into a stone wall, you'll know what reality is. Or if someone punches you in the nose, you fall off a ladder, you see a baby being born, or you watch a parent suffer and die, you'll know what reality is. Trust me, reality has a way of kicking you in the behind. I close the chapter by writing from Proverbs 3 5 6 Trust in the Lord with all thy heart and lean not upon thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. This is Michael Savage. When I return, I will talk about where is God and other things right here on the Savage Nation podcast. The Savage Nation. It's Savage On Demand. Welcome back to the uh, Savage Nation podcast. We're talking about through the looking glass. I could say through the looking glass, where is God? I want to now talk about the amulet. It's a piece of my book, God, Faith, and Reason. Now, what is an amulet? It's a good luck charm. People believe a good luck charm gives them protection when they carry it. The word amulet comes from the Latin word amuletum, which Pliny's natural history describes, quote, as an object that protects a person from trouble. What does it mean? I don't know. People wear them. Amulets, you know, today especially, people wear them when they think that they're not believing in anything except this little magical thing they wear, an amulet, a talisman, etc. Good luck charms, in other words. As a kid, maybe you had a rabbit's foot, so-called, you know. But an amulet is an important story to me because as I speak to you right now, I have in my hand two amulets, which I keep on my broadcast desk to this day. Even as I do my podcasts, they hang down. I wish I could show you pictures of them. I will. Actually, no, I don't want to give up their power by putting them on, on, on social media. I will not do that right now. I have the amulet in my hand, and there's a long story to it that is worth listening to if you're interested in listening to a long story. And so now I begin on page 63 from God, Faith, and Reason with the a little chapter called The Amulet. A very special thing has occurred. I'm holding an amulet in my hand. Do you know what an amulet is? Christians, they don't believe in amulets. They think they're anti-God. They don't understand that some amulets bring you closer to God, not farther away. As I said before, for years, Catholics in America had little plastic statues of St. Christopher in their cars. Then the statues gave way to dream catchers. That was the end of America as far as I knew it. Those statues were icon effigies the Catholics had. 
that didn't make them less Catholic, did it? But what about wearing a cross? Huh? The cross itself, is that not a sort of amulet, a protection against evil? I'm asking you. The cross. What I'm getting at is something related to the St. Christopher medal thing. When Americans drove around in Dodge Darts and other big American cars in the 1970s, I should say Dodge Challengers, Challengers, there were St. Christopher statues all over America. Suddenly, we woke up in the 1990s and there were dream catchers hanging off the mirrors. Every girl in the San Francisco area with chlamydia was driving around with a dream catcher. I don't mean to attack women, but come on, you know what I'm saying. Many people think the dream catchers were to protect them, save them. Well, they didn't work. Look what the cities have become today. Where are the dream catchers? A while back, I was somewhere I hadn't been in years. It was a house I used to live and work in. For 16 years, I had done radio shows out of that house. When I was a local radio host, it took me years to get the local station to permit me to do a remote broadcast out of my house. It's all I wanted. I had to argue and beg for it for years for them to let me put in a home studio. And then when I did, I wound up feeling more isolated than I have ever felt in my life. <laughs> and I dreamed of being back at the radio station. There is something about the smell of the garbage can in the radio studio, the stink of perfume that people would leave there that could blind you. One of the reasons I like a home studio is that I'm a germaphobic person. I never got the flu in there. It's me and the dog. He doesn't get the flu. So after the renovation, I moved back into the old house and the old home studio. Naturally, some things had been left there, including paintings, pictures, photographs, some of the curtains. I found stuff that I had long forgotten. One night, I stayed there during a rainstorm. I wanted to be away from the bay, the San Francisco Bay itself. It was too noisy, the pounding, crashing surf, wet and wild, too close to my bedroom. So I was in this house, and I found a box I had stored. And in the box, I found an ivory object inscribed in Hebrew. The back of it was a cheap sort of metal, like cheap silver, and there were tinkling things hanging from it. I actually have it in my hand right now, right next to the microphone. Little tinkling things hanging from it. I knew that it was an amulet from the Middle East, I think. I had bought them in Israel, I don't know, 40 years before. I bought two of them, as a matter of fact. I don't even know what was on it. I remember when my mother was alive, rest her soul, I showed her the amulet. She never really related to anything I did for some weird reason that I never understood until recently. At the time, she looked at that amulet and said, that's very interesting that you brought that back from Israel. What is it? She touched it, and I saw some electricity go through her. Until I found it again, I had forgotten about that. I had put the amulet aside. I had left it in a box and forgotten it. One night after returning from a pub, I ripped the muscle in my neck. I had hurt my neck years before, and a masseuse had almost destroyed it. I never let that woman near me again. She's a monster. I got over that. Then I hurt the other side of my neck. Well, in the house that I'm telling you about, there's an exercise machine. I hate exercise machines. They're inhuman. Normally, I confine my regimen to natural exercises, such as push-ups, sit-ups, bicycling, etc. But for some weird reason, I wanted to get into shape again, and I started pulling down on the pull-down bar on that inhuman machine. I must have ripped the muscle again. The pain was excruciating, but I wouldn't even take an aspirin for it. I'm stoic when it comes to that kind of pain. I don't want to start in with pills. I looked at the amulet and said to myself, wait a minute, hold on. I don't believe in magic, but I believe in God. But I believe in God. Was it a coincidence that I found that amulet from the Holy Land that I must have bought in 1978? I don't even remember exactly where I bought it. I think it was from a Yemenite peddler in a marketplace in Jerusalem. Well, I bought two of them. 
As I say, my mother noted it, even though she was not very religious. But I know there's some kind of mystical streak in my family line on her side. Many women have clairvoyant abilities, can see things others can't see. What gives them that extra power of seeing? Where does it come from? Well, it's inherent. It's genetic. They inherited it, usually from their mother's line, but not always. You can call it many things. If you work on a dark side, it's called witchcraft. If you work on the good side, it's not called witchcraft. Amulets of any kind can be put to either good or evil use. Let me say that again. Amulets of any kind can be put to either good or evil use. Now, wait a minute. You may be a skeptic and very rational and don't believe in any of this. You may say it's nonsense. But do you carry anything around with you for good luck? Do you carry anything on an airplane? Did any of you carry anything into battle that you believe protected you? That's what I'm talking about. For many years, I was into herbal medicine. For many years, I wrote books on healing. I was in clinical practice as a healer for only a few years after I received my doctorate from about 1978 to 1980 or 81. I wasn't ready for it then. Now, if I get sick, I go only to medical doctors. I try to heal myself to avoid the need for modern medicine. But once I have an acute condition, I use modern medicine. Obviously, I take tons of the right vitamins and use herbal medicine uh, when I need to. I've always known since I was a young man that I have healing powers. Some of us have them. Some of us don't. I don't mean clinical or technical. I'm talking about actual physical, spiritual healing powers. Now, wait. I have avoided this part of my being for a long time for many reasons. I didn't want to wind up being accused of becoming a fake guru. Let me be very clear about that. You can easily take your own Kool-Aid here, and you can wind up on a ranch in Antelope, Oregon with 25 Rolls Royces and 50 women. But I didn't want that. So I must be very careful of my own powers and strengths. You know and I know that in this world, but for the grace of God, you or I could have wound up a homeless person in the gutter instead of who we are. Am I right or wrong? Do you think everything you have in your life, all the blessings you have, are there only because of yourself? No, it's because of many things, including God's power and will, and I've known this all my life. What I'm saying to you from my perspective is also true in reverse. That poor, unfortunate bum in the street could have been you. It's a matter of chance for some of us. Things happen to people. Who can say what makes a person down in his luck or why something goes wrong in their life? Or why a child gets cancer. I can't. I have no knowledge about any of that. But let me go back to the amulet I found. I bought two of them in Jerusalem in the 1970s. I put them aside and paid no, paid no attention to them for decades. Then I found one right after I'd pulled a muscle on my neck. I picked it up and I said, I know this thing has power. I put it on my neck and I said, I don't believe in magic, but I believe in God. I stayed there in bed holding it to the muscle that was ripped. And I have to tell you from the bottom of my heart, the pain subsided within three or four minutes. It came back the next morning. I can hear the non-believers saying, oh, come on, it's mind over matter. Don't be stupid. Come on, you're a man of science. Don't be a fool. What do you believe in that for? I decided that night that I'm going to keep trying this thing on people in my life who are sick. As I write this, I can feel the heat right now because I just put it on my neck. I can feel the whole heat of my body in this thing. I know it has tremendous power. It's a secret thing. Now, look, I know that these are from Yemen. These are Yemenite amulets. I can tell by the design of the jewelry and what's going on the little hanging trinkets. Now, you never see Jews in America with these things. They're modern Jews. They don't believe in any of this stuff. I don't know what they believe in, but that's their business. Each person is different. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. Let's talk about what's going on right now. 
Now, the topic of today's podcast is through the looking glass. What does that really mean? It means we have a liar in the White House surrounded by criminals who hate America. And with the complicity of the vermin in the media, they can get away with things like flooding America with illegal aliens and having liberals cry and scream that we're a racist nation. We could have a gangster in the form of Nancy Pelosi pushing a three and a half trillion dollar agenda while Biden says it costs zero dollars. We have a judge who releases the man who shot Ronald Reagan and giving him unconditional release. Shall I go down the stories? We can have an NBA that refuses to be vaccinated saying it's a civil war against black people. We can have crazy, insane things like Philadelphia run by left-wing Democrats surpassing 400 homicides for 2021. We could have a Connecticut left-wing fanatical loser governor seeking an extension of emergency pandemic powers because he loved the power he, he had. And so forth and so on. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And there seems to be no let up to the bad news. Now Biden, in addition to flooding America with Uh, Haitians, illegal aliens from Central America. He wants to introduce yet a new bill to preserve DACA. Okay, that's just happening. Deferred action for childhood arrivals. Okay, that means more amnesty for more illegal aliens. In other words, they don't want America to exist anymore. So we lost. Either it was stolen from us or we lost in the voting booth for a number of reasons mainly in my opinion because there was no voter id had there been voter id the rotten stinking left-wing democrats would not be in power because of illegal aliens we have left-wing governments around america they know that so they took it to the national level why would they fight voter id every nation on earth that's sane has voter id but we don't have voter id because that's uh, considered to be racist according to the vermin on the left who are in power only because They appease and appeal to the illegal aliens. Now, I want to go back in a minute to God, Faith, and Reason, a book I wrote a number of years ago, published a number of years ago. And I wrote a chapter about faith and freedom, but about losing elections. And I want to read this to you for a moment. Let's not forget, I wrote, winning elections has yielded disappointing results before. We thought we had accomplished something when we sent conservatives to Washington in three straight elections from 2010 to 2014. And what happened? We were stabbed in the back by John Boehner and Mitch McConnell. Boehner may be gone, I wrote, but McConnell is still there, along with a bunch of other rhinos and sellouts. They have done it to us before, and I don't want them to be allowed to do it again. If I must again be the only one out there willing to stand up and take the chance of having the Donald Trump camp reject me, cast me out from Eden, I must live with that. So if I'm going to live in Nod, I'll live in Nod. I lived here my whole life. I'll stay here. I didn't expect to be invited into the Garden of Eden for having supported Donald Trump. And if I'm cast out because I dare criticize the president and the RNC, so be it. I've wandered in the desert. I'll continue to wander in the desert. It's that simple. Hmm. What else did I write? I'm the one conservative who hasn't forgotten why we sent Donald Trump to Washington. It's not simply enough to have him in the White House throwing tweet bombs at the media. We sent them there to restore our borders, language, and culture. We need the wall built, the military restored, the economy repaired. 
with fair trade deals that put America first and we need ISIS destroyed. We've sent congressmen to Washington for six years trying to make a difference and the swamp dwellers in Washington have stabbed them in the back and spat in our faces. I don't want them to do it to us again and think they can get away with it because we're not going to do anything about it. There are millions of us who will do something. Unfortunately, that's not true. But I wrote this. I said, our battle is just beginning. Our battle is just beginning, right? It all comes down to us. We, the people, must support Trump when he tries to do the things he sent him to Washington to do. Well, let me pause right here. We did support Trump. Unfortunately, the criminal gangs that oppose us, we the people, have won. They are making us suffer. They're making us suffer by destroying the nation right in front of our eyes as quickly as they can, flooding us with illegal aliens, attacking our children in schools. What else shall I say? Wrecking the economy? Doing trade deals that benefit foreign nations and not us? What else can they do to us? There's no limit to the damage they can do and are doing. So what the hell is the good of this podcast? You know, I had a rabbi write to me just this morning. He's a conservative, politically quite conservative, but, you know, in his congregation, he doesn't introduce politics much into his congregation. So he wrote me an email and he said, hi, Michael, great interview in Breitbart. And sadly, you're probably very accurate in your assessment. I agree with you that we do need divine intervention. And the personal question I wrestle with is what more to do as a rabbi who also prays, already prays and writes a fair amount. Any thoughts are always welcome. Well, I answered him because I've been asked this question before. And maybe it's a simplistic answer, but it's the one I gave. And I wrote back and I said, all we can do individually is keep doing what we do. Each of us taking small steps for humanity. That's what I do every morning. I know this podcast is not going to change the world. I don't care what you do in the media. I don't care if you have 20 million listeners a day, which you don't have. You can lie about it all you want. It's all about money for you anyway, Mark. You know that. But let's say you have a large audience. What change are you going to be able to make in this dictatorship that we're living in? You see, we live in a dictatorship. What you don't understand yet in this country is the two-party system is a Ponzi scheme. The reason the parliamentary system is far better is because if a government loses the confidence of the people, the opposition can call an election at any time. So right after the debacle in Afghanistan, there would have been an election called, and that stumble bum would have been thrown out of office that we have there right now, that stumble bum liar, Joe Biden. That stumble bum liar would have been thrown out of office. Trump probably could have run again and won, but was stuck with the criminal gang that took over. We're stuck with the far left ruining the nation. We're stuck with the left-wing racists who hate white people for another three years, aren't we? I guess we are. So what the hell can we do? We can watch sports, I suppose, and tune out, turn on, tune in, drop out. I guess you could follow Timothy Leary's adage. Now you understand why marijuana was suddenly foisted upon this nation? Do you understand that the marijuana epidemic, you don't understand that I did. I tried to stop that. I, lo- I lost on that one. When Soros spent $1 million, sounds like chump change, in Arizona and $1 million in California many years ago to introduce a medical marijuana initiative on the ballots. I fought with one of his flacks on my radio show and I said, you know, you just want to legalize marijuana. It has nothing to do with medical 
Well, of course, they argued to the contrary. What, what they have done to this country with their marijuana legalization fundamentally is the equivalent of what opium did to the Chinese when the British dumped opium on the Chinese population and turned an entire nation into addicts with opium. You may not know about that. And by the way, you know who was involved in that? Did you know that Delano, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the hero of the Democrat Party? Well, the Delano family is on the mother's side. And the Delanos made their money as drug runners. That's right. They had the clipper ships that ran the opium bundles into China. They made their fortune by bringing the opium into China. That's the Franklin Delano Roosevelt family lineage. Check it out if you think I'm making it up. So that brings me full circle to the next thing I want to talk about, which is a movie I'm watching on Netflix. It's about Pablo Escobar, the cocaine dealer who became overly powerful by killing people. This was done in 2012. It's an interesting version on Netflix. It was done in 2012 about him. And the interaction between him and politics, him and the political world, is extremely interesting to me because he maintained that he was a leftist. Once he became very wealthy as a Coke dealer, he wanted to go into politics. And he kept espousing a new liberalism. You see what I'm saying here? New liberalism. He said he was in favor of human rights and for the poor. Do you, you see the connection between what I'm saying about Pablo Escobar and politics and this reign of terror being conducted upon us by the Democrats of today? Is there nothing new under the sun? The Democrats of yesterday were drug dealers. Delano brought uh, opium into China. So how much of what we are experiencing in this meltdown in the country today is related to illegal drugs and legal drugs? You can talk about legal drugs like vaccinations. Now, I'm not anti-vax. Don't get me wrong. I think it should be an individual choice up to a certain point. But that's a topic for another time. Drugs, drugs, drugs. You ever turn on the television and actually count the amount of ads that are for drugs? 85% of all the ads on cable are about drugs, pushing drugs. Did you know that? Big drugs, big pharmaceutical drugs. Now, some of them may be useful, but why is it that so much money is spent on pharmaceuticals in this country? How about natural healing? How about keeping yourself from getting sick to begin with? Now, that doesn't make anyone any money. How about treating yourself with natural remedies when you do get sick? That doesn't make much money either. What you need are really expensive pharmaceuticals, really expensive vaccinations. And what you really need is a subdued population. There are other things that I want to talk about on today's podcast through the looking glass. These are just some of them. But I'd like to go now into a thing called loss. I've talked about other things, but I haven't talked about loss. What is loss? Why do I want to talk about loss? Well, because we lost. It was stolen from us, or it was fair and square. It doesn't really matter. We lost. And even if we lost by one vote, the uh, left won. However, they were not given this mandate to dismantle America, did they? Were they? Were they given a mandate to dismantle America? Was this group of gangsters given a mandate to bust the economy and to burn America to the ground? Were they given a mandate to kill God? Were they given a mandate to burn the family to the ground? Were they given a mandate 
to make you feel like life is not worth living? No, I don't think so. In fact, I know so. So it leaves us lost, wandering in the wilderness. We don't even have a leader right now. I saw the Trump rally the other day. He's still going at it. Will he run? I don't know. I really don't know. But wandering in the desert is nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. For 40 years, the Jews wandered in the desert. In Exodus, God makes the Israelites wander in the desert because of their infidelity to him and the decision to do evil in his sight. What a great metaphor for where we are today. Yes, we once won an election that almost saved our country from irreparable ruin. But now we are in meltdown phase. We are in Chernobyl. The nation is melting down as though it's a nuclear reactor that has burned out. We had some victories along the way, just as the Israelites did at Ai and Jericho. Trump succeeded for a while in stemming the tide of unvetted refugees from nations with high numbers of Islamic terrorists. And Biden just brought in at least 100,000 Muslims from Afghanistan. Hmm. How do you like that? How do you like that one? Have you seen what will happen to this nation from these 100,000 Afghans that he has brought in yet? When Trump was in power, legalized was patriotism again. Patriotism was legalized under Trump. And now where do we go? You can still be a patriot. Remember that. You can still be a patriot. I want you to remember that Moses spent the rest of his life trying to get his people to the promised land after he had freed them from bondage in Egypt. And I know that there is still a lot of work that can be done to save our nation. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Look, look, look. I know today's podcast has been very heavy into introspection, faith, and basically how we have lost our nation. We feel defeated. But I want to leave you today with something a little more inspirational, something lighter. Earlier in today's Savage podcast, I spoke about reality. And when I was 18 and I didn't have the answers and when I found out what is real and how most of us wrestle with these questions when we are young, my longtime radio listeners may remember a book I discovered when I was 18 years old entitled The Importance of Living by Lin Yutang. Well, here is a humorous, lighter piece I recorded about it back in 2009. Maybe it'll inspire you in some way to understand that life must go on. In a further podcast, I will talk about how we can fight back against this all-on assault against our nation. This is Michael Savage. Thank you for listening. You know, I have in my hands a book called The Importance of Living by Lin Yutang. Those of you who have listened to my show since 94 understand the charm of this man and how I've talked for years about the book, The Importance of Living, which I discovered when I was 18 and going through my uh, sufferings of young Werther phase. And I thought, oh, life is horrible, you know, oh, is me, I can't take it anymore. And I found this book, The Importance of Living, where he brought the yin and yang together. He taught me that we are basically, although we have a soul, that we're monkeys. Our bodies are that of a monkey. I mean, I know many of you are offended by that, but truthfully, you know, it's been put another way, that we're in the Neanderthals, the Neanderthal diet. But you got to remember that there's the human body is that of an animal. No matter how you think you're saintly, if you, the minute you disconnect from the fact that you have an animal body, you go crazy. And that's where all your trouble begins. Anyway, this book put me together because there were chapters in it like, uh, uh, well, let me give you an example. Lin Yutang, The Importance of Living. 
I didn't write it, by the way. I'm not Lin and I'm not Yatang. But I never saw a book like this which talked about views of mankind, Christian, Greek, and Chinese, our animal heritage, the monkey epic, on being mortal, on having a stomach, on having strong muscles, on having a mind, and on human dignity and the rise of human civilization. Then he goes into enjoyment of life. That's what I'm getting at. And he talks about whole chapters on uh, on sex, on celibacy, a freak of civilization. My favorite chapter was the enjoyment of living, on lying in bed. A whole chapter on lying in bed, on sitting in chairs, on conversation, on tea and friendship, on smoke and incense, on drink and wine games, on food and medicine, the inhumanity of Western dress, on house and interiors. And I remember I read this when I was 18 years old, which goes back quite a few decades. And when I first stumbled upon it, I was astounded by this. And it was a combination of sort of our animal bodies with our spiritual beings. In a way, I had never been able to unify the two. You know, kids grow up, they don't know what they are. Either you run too much in one direction or too much in the other. Either you become too much of the the spiritual and you try to deny the body. Or you become too much of the, uh, um, the, the, the animal, you know, the pleasure seeker, and you deny your spirit. And this book, for me, brought it all together. And one of the favorite parts for me was uh, Chin's 33 Happy Moments. And I don't know if the people listening to this show, since I'm in a sort of different mood today, and I had enough with Obama. This stuff was good stuff. And it was the happy moments of a Chinese, as described by uh, a 17th century playwright in China named Chin Sheng Tan. And he wrote about, he sat with his friends when they were locked up in a temple for 10 days on account of rainy weather, and they thought about what were the truly happy moments of human life, moments in which the spirit is tied up with the senses, and he writes about them, and I'm not going to read all of them to you. I'm going to give you a taste of some of them, and you'll see if you get a kick out of them. Here's one. See if it strikes you as a happy moment in your life. I wake up in the morning and seem to hear someone in the house sighing and saying that last night someone died. I immediately ask to find out who it is and learn that it is the sharpest, most calculating fellow in town. Ah, is this not happiness? Remember this? Remember he wrote that happiness does not consist in the flights of poets uh, of that kind of thing, but happiness consists in getting your hair cut every two weeks and, and watching your neighbor fall off the roof. That's what I was trying to talk about. In other words, that's human nature is this normalcy and also... If you get pleasure in seeing someone you hate fall off a roof, don't be guilty about it. Everyone likes to see their evil neighbor fall off a roof. <laughs> Here's another one. Wait. Um, da, 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 da. I, it has been raining for a whole month, and I lie in bed in the morning like one drunk or ill refusing to get up. First of all, that unto itself is beautiful. We work so damn hard in America. We never lay in bed. We think it's bad for our hearts. The opposite is true. I Actually, I'm a big believer in laying in bed. I believe that laying in bed is way underestimated. I think we're just crazy with our running and our dashing and our this and our that. Anyway, listen to this one. It has been raining for a whole month, and I lie in bed in the morning like one drunk or ill refusing to get up. Suddenly, I hear a chorus of birds announcing a clear day. Quickly, I pull aside the curtain, push open the window, and see the beautiful sun shining and glistening, and the forest looks like having a bath. Ah, is this not happiness? Okay. Let's see then. Here's another. A few more. It's so disconnected from today. Here, I love this one. To cut with a sharp knife a bright green watermelon on a big scarlet plate of a summer afternoon. Ah, is this not happiness? You get the picture? In other words, can you see a, a, a watermelon 
on a hot day and just cutting it and get pleasure out of it. That's what he's talking about. We've lost this. We think that because the ad men have so jumbled our brains, the madmen, the advertising, that we have to go somewhere to find happiness. We have to buy something to find happiness. We all know that that's rubbish. I've long wanted to become a monk, but was worried because I would not be permitted to eat meat. If then I could be permitted to become a monk and yet eat meat publicly, why then I would heat a basin of hot water and with the help of a sharp razor shave my head clean in a summer month. Ah, is this not happiness? To keep three or four spots of eczema in a private part of my body and now and then to scald or bathe it with hot water behind closed doors. <laughs> ah, is this not happiness? <laughs> I mean, does this translate well anymore? I mean, I love this book. It reminds you how simple things are. You know, a few more, because it's getting close to Thanksgiving. I feel liberated. I love this one. Wait. A traveler returns home after a long journey, and he sees the old city gate, and hears the women and children on both banks of the river talking his own dialect. Ah, is this not happiness? Now, let's say uh, we don't have an old city gate, and we don't have our own dialect, or do we? We certainly do have regional accents. How about when you've been on a long business trip, and you come back to your city or your town, and just the sound of the horns and just the sound of the cab driver, even if he's from Bengali, even if he is a Bengali, isn't that what makes you feel good and at home and happy? That's what we're talking about. Here's a nice one. I am not a saint, and I am therefore not without sin. In the night, I did something wrong, and I get up in the morning and feel extremely ill at ease <laughs> about... <laughs> me... Okay, I am not a saint, and I'm therefore not without sin. In the, in the night I did something wrong, and I get up in the morning and feel extremely ill and ease about it. Suddenly I remember what is taught by Buddhism, that not to cover one's sins is the same as repentance. So then I begin to tell my sin to the entire company around, whether they are strangers or my old friends. Ah, is this not happiness? Sort of sounds like, like Oprah. <laughs> now here's one that I've really lived by. This is me. To open the window and let a wasp out of the room. Ah, is this not happiness? That's a good one. Have you ever let a wasp out of a room or a fly and felt something? Huh? I have. I, I've done that. Uh, to see someone's kite line broken. Ah, is this not happiness? To see a wild prairie fire. Ah, is this not happiness? To have just finished repaying all one's debts. <laughs> ah, is this not happiness, Obama? <laughs> now, if he went to China and said, I'm finished repaying my debts, by the way, See if you can collect it. Then I would say I would love the guy. You know what I'm saying? To end that little... If he, if he could go to China and say, you know what? Let me tell you something. We owe you a couple of trillion dollars. You owe a whole a lot of our T-bills. You own them. But let me tell you something, Charlie. Here's the way it's going to go down. We ain't paying you. We can't pay you. You're never going to collect. But I'm willing to negotiate right now 10 cents on the dollar. Then I would say, ah, is this not happiness? <laughs> Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed and learned something from it. And I want to remind you of something that I think is important for you to know. We have over 280 Savage Nation podcast episodes available to you absolutely free. I'll say that again. You can go back into this vast library of over 280 episodes and listen to any one of them or several of them at your leisure. So you never have to be without the Savage Nation. Thank you very much for listening.